Well, happy Independence Day to all of you. Um, I love this photo. This is the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier at Arlington National Cemetery. And what I love about this photo is the 3rd Infantry Division of the United States Army known as the Old Guard. And how, when I see this photo, I think of sacrificial honor and how they stand watch at this tomb day, night, rain, snow, sleet, and even in acts of war. Uh, during 9-11 and the attacks on the Pentagon, when that plane hit the Pentagon just blocks from where this was, the old guard did not stop what they were doing. In fact, they were doing a funeral at the time and they kept up with the funeral to honor those who've gone before us, the men and women who have died, that our country could be a, a country of freedom. Tom Cotton, who is a U.S. Senator and served in the Old Guard in the Army, he served as a member uh, watching and guarding in Arlington in the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. He wrote a book about that experience called Sacred Duty. And in that book, he talks about how a general from a foreign country came to Arlington National Cemetery and saw uh, all that was going on, saw a ceremony they did for a fallen soldier, saw the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and how the Old Guard honored that soldier and the foreign general from the foreign country said now I know why your country and the people who serve in your armed forces serve with such valor and such strength and he said because you treat your dead better than we treat the living in our country what a blessing we have to live in a nation like this what a blessing it is and it's right for us on this day to thank God for the freedom we have, that we live in this nation where we take part in that freedom every single week as we gather to worship God in a place where we can do that without persecution uh, from our federal government. And we thank God that we live in a free nation. And so that gratitude that we feel that's right, that we ought to feel, begs a question that I'd like to answer for us today. The question it begs is this. What should we do with our freedom? It's one thing just to have freedom given to us like this amazing gift. And if all we do is say, yes, it's a great gift and we do nothing with it, then we miss the whole point entirely. What do we do with our freedom? There is a key that unlocks how life was meant to be lived for a Christian. Living life as God intended gives us the life we've always wanted. And the best use of freedom in the United States, I think, is to remember, although we love and appreciate this country, that we live for another kingdom. We live for the kingdom of God. The rule of God over every area of life, that's the kingdom of God. The rule of God over every area of life, living life the way our creator God meant it to be. There are a lot of agendas out there. There are political agendas, cultural agendas, social agendas, economic agendas, yes, even religious agendas. And if it's not the agenda of King Jesus, it's the wrong agenda. And to live and experience the way of life that God intended us to live, we have to carry out his, as Pastor Tony Evans would say, kingdom agenda. We live the kingdom agenda in the midst of of this freedom. In school, we say the Pledge of Allegiance. 
At sporting events, we sing the United States National Anthem as we should because it acknowledges that this event is a privilege of being in the quote-unquote kingdom of the United States, and that is a blessing. But as Christians, God wants us to pledge our ultimate allegiance, our highest allegiance to his kingdom, because his kingdom is eternal. When we read the end of the book, there's only one kingdom, and that's the kingdom of God. And so we use the freedom and the blessing God gave us to live for his ultimate kingdom. And I want us, the rest of my time today, for us to learn about this kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open to John chapter 18, where we see a crazy, amazing conversation take place between Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and Pontius Pilate. There's a conversation that takes place, and in the midst of this conversation, we can learn things about God's kingdom. So if you have a Bible, John chapter 18, verses 33 to 37. I'll begin reading of verse 33 of John 18. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? I am not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I am a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus is king of kings, and he is the ruler of his kingdom. That is the truth. That's what he laid out. And in this passage, this conversation between Jesus and Pilate, we see aspects of the kingdom of God that we need to learn about as followers of Jesus because we are citizens of that kingdom. And the first thing I want us to do before we dive into what is happening in that conversation is get some background of God's kingdom. To get some background information of God's kingdom. Before God created human beings, before God created the earth, he created angels. There were a myriad of angels. And the angels had two main purposes. One was to reflect the glory of God and reflect the glory of who he is and also to carry out his will and his bidding in the world. That was the purpose of these angels. Lucifer was the top angel. And Ezekiel chapter 28, 12 and 19 describes what he was like. He was dazzling. He was beautiful. He was an amazing singer. He led the chorus of worship in heaven to worship the king of kings. But one day, he wanted all that glory that was going rightly to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit to be poured upon him. He wanted to be the object of worship. And so he established a rival kingdom. 
In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 15, describes Lucifer's fall in setting up this rival kingdom. And when he did this, you see in Isaiah chapter 14, all these I will statements. I will do this. I will do that. I will do this. I will do that. And what Lucifer was saying is, I will be God. That was his mission. And so he set up this rival kingdom And Revelation 12 tells us a third of the angels followed him and there was a kingdom clash. Kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. And there was a trial that day in heaven and Satan and the traitor angels were found to be guilty of cosmic treason. And Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 10, 18 says, I watched Satan that day fall from heaven like lightning. He said, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now this verse tells us three things. First, it tells us Jesus was there. Jesus always existed. Jesus never had a beginning. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he never had a beginning. He was there when Satan took these angels and put forth his rebellion. Second, it tells us Satan was kicked out of heaven. He was kicked out of heaven. And third, his name went from Lucifer to Satan. Now here is where the kingdom gets interesting. Here is where the questions begin. Because people often wonder, how come when that sentence was, or how come when that rebellion took place, the final sentence wasn't given? How come in that moment God didn't just cast out Satan, put him to death, get rid of all of his power and influence, set up his own kingdom on earth, make sure there is no suffering, no sin, no more rebellion, and just live at that point in full uh, authority and ruler and submission to God. How come he didn't set up the world that way at that moment? God decided, rather than to carry out the sentence right away, the sentence is coming. He will carry it out when Jesus returns. But God decided rather than carrying out the sentence right away, he would use this rebellion for his greater glory. After Satan was kicked out of heaven, God created another being. He created human beings. And he created them in his image. And Psalms chapter 8 in Hebrews 2 says that the human beings were created a little lower than the angels. Now, why would God create them a little lower than the angels? God did this so God could demonstrate what he can do with the quote-unquote lower humans when they are yielded and dependent upon God versus what he can do with the quote-unquote higher angels when they are in rebellion. God had a plan to unleash his kingdom page by page by page. And one of the first pages was for God to create human beings and have them live willfully under the submission of his authority to carry out his kingdom agenda on earth. That was step one, act one in the beginning of the story. God wanted his people, his people created in his image, human beings redeemed by the blood of Jesus to carry out the mission of God in this life and in this world. And he knew that he would receive more glory when created humans who fell in sin, 
who are redeemed by his son, then live lives that carry out the mission and the glory of God in the world they live in. Instead of ending all things right there, God decided to work through human beings, but only, get this, as they submit their lives to God. God has a kingdom, and there is a blessing when human beings submit and live according to this kingdom. When human beings try to figure it out on their own, and they kick God off the throne of their heart, and they decide they're going to make all the decisions for their life, that's when life gets messy. That's when they do not live the way God intended them to live, and they miss the mark. So let's dive in and look at some aspects of the kingdom from this conversation between Jesus and Pilate. The first thing we can look at is the location of this kingdom. The location of this kingdom. Look at verse 36. It says, my kingdom is not of this world. Notice in verse 36, the kingdom is in this world. It's just not of this world. So what does that really mean? Not of this world means the source of the authority or the authority of his kingdom is not based in the ways of this world, not based in the ways of this world's system of thinking, not based in the ways of this world's values. The kingdom is different than the ways of the world. And when we say we are followers of Jesus, but operate our lives by the standard of this world, we will be in conflict with how God intended us to live. That is why the Bible talks about worldliness. It means when Christians pattern their lives after the ways of this world, they become worldly. And the Bible warns against worldliness because worldliness is always in conflict with quote-unquote kingdomness or godliness. God wants us in the world carrying out his kingdom agenda, but he does not want the world in us. He wants us in the world carrying out his kingdom agenda, but he doesn't want the world in us. It's kind of like an ocean liner on the ocean. I see that cruises are starting back up again and they're taking out to the high seas. When you go on a cruise ship, you want the cruise boat, the cruise ship to be in the water, but you don't want the water in the cruise ship. That's a big problem. You are in the world, but you are not of the world. As a Christian, we live in this world, but we don't allow the world to come in and take us off course of God's agenda. God set up ways he wants us to live, and they are kingdom ways. And they are listed in here. All we need for living the kingdom of God and the kingdom agenda in this world is right here in this book. It has listed everything we need. In the world, it's contrary to kingdom ways. The world in the Bible is a system of thinking. And right thinking leads to right behaving. And 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 tells us that Satan is influencing this world. And for this period of time, before the final sentence is brought, when Jesus comes back and returns, Satan is allowed to influence this world because God wants his church to begin to operate in his kingdom agenda, and especially if you're in the United States of America, with the freedom that we have been given. When the Bible talks about the world in a negative way, it is talking about a system 
where Satan tries to get you to exclude God from your life. One of the reasons God is not fixing what's wrong in the world is because currently some of his agents, those that he created to bear his image and his kingdom in the world, are living worldly lives. You see, when you pledge allegiance to God's kingdom, but try to live of this world's kingdom, you will be confused and life will be a big mess. That is why so many people give up. They try to come in, they want to live the kingdom of God, they want to live out his agenda, but they don't want to let go of some of the things of this world. And there's a kingdom clash. Because there's a part of us, our sinful nature, that still wants to do whatever we want to do. And so we want to be the king and call the shots. And then we want to take the things that we want, go to the king who is the king over the kingdom of God, and say, God, approve these things that I want to do. And it doesn't work like that because there's only one king in the kingdom. It's kind of like scuba diving. When a person goes scuba diving, they're going into a world they weren't created to live in. They go into this world. In order to survive in that world, they have to take something from their world that they were created to live in and go into that world, which is a pack of air. Because if they go into that world for an extended period of time without something from the world that they were brought and meant to be in, they will die and perish. Just like Christians, we live in this world, but to survive in this world and be people of his kingdom and his rule and his agenda, we have to be in Christ. And we have to get our life from Christ. He has to be our source. If you belong to Jesus, this world is not your home. This world is not the place that you are meant to function fully. If you want to function well in this world as a follower of Jesus, you have to have the tank of heaven on your back. A lot of you fish in this congregation. A lot of you like to show me the big fish you catch. No one's ever shown me the little tiny fish you catch. No one's ever told me about when you go out and you don't catch a thing. I always get the pictures of the big fish. But when you pull a fish out of water... What does that fish do? They flop around and they gasp and they do everything they can to try to get back in the water because they weren't meant to live outside the water. And everything is a mess until they get back in the water. The same is true with Christians living in the world. We're supposed to be as uncomfortable in this world as that fish is when they're out of the water. Because God has created us to be people of his kingdom people of his agenda. And that is where we are supposed to live, under his lordship, giving every area of our life placed and submitted to his rule and his reign. When you come to Jesus, you switch kingdoms. You move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Colossians puts it like this. He has rescued us. Notice that he is the one who does the rescuing, not us. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he transferred us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. There's been a transferring of a kingdom in your heart when you're a believer and a follower of Jesus. You no longer belong to the world. You now belong to the kingdom of God. And now you live as his agent in this world. 
If we're going to see God's power in our lives, we must live by his kingdom, his agenda, and his rule. All of life submitted to him because we've been transferred from one kingdom to the next. The other thing we see in this pivotal conversation between Jesus and Pilate is this, that the kingdom operates by truth. Look at verse 37, the second part of it. Jesus is saying these words, and he said, I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. God's kingdom is true. God's kingdom operates in truth. Truth is God's view on any given subject and the absolute standard by which all reality is measured. It cannot be changed by feelings or experiences or human thoughts. If you build your life on feelings, experiences, or human thoughts, you will build, as the Bible says, on a shaky foundation. The kingdom is about God's truth. And everything in the world as a Christian needs to be measured back to his standard. That's why God gave us the Bible, to know what is true. And here Jesus is saying, my kingdom only operates on what is true. And notice Pilate's reply in verse 38. It echoes many in our world today. Pilate says, what is truth? Jesus answers that question directly in John 14, 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, if we want to be people living of his kingdom, we have to be people of truth. And if we want to be people of truth, we have to be in Christ, yielding our hearts to him. Satan tries to get us to live a lie. Because he knows if he can get you to live a lie, he pulls you off of God's kingdom agenda. He does that because if we live a lie, there's no way we can live a lie and live in God's kingdom because God's kingdom is founded upon truth. And so he'll take a little bit of truth, mix a lie, and get you to live your life that way. As believers who are walking out God's kingdom in this world, it's important for us to ask the question every now and then, Am I believing a lie? What are the lies in my heart that I'm speaking to myself that are contrary to what God's word says? And if we find those, we repent of those, and we come back and live under God's truth. And that can happen, that process can happen, because we switch kingdoms as Christians, but as I said, that sinful nature, that old king, still wants to call some shots. So all of this takes us back to our original question. What should we do with our freedom? We rightly celebrate freedom in the United States today. What should we do with that freedom? We live for God in his kingdom. That's what we do with that freedom. If you want your life and your world to be all God wants it to be, then God must be the supreme ruler of your life. If we are going to see God's ways in our life, we must submit to God's lordship in our life. The Greek word for kingdom is a word called basileia. It means rule or authority. Another way to think of it is that which calls the shots. That which calls the shots. 
And unless God calls the shots in our lives, we will not experience his transformation. Unless God calls the shots in our life, we will not experience his transformation. Unless the king of all kings is treated like the king, we will not see his power operating in our lives the way it was intended to be. The royals in England are all over the news these days. You see the royal family everywhere you go. And if you go to England, you'll see that the queen, the monarch, Queen Elizabeth of the royal family, has lots and lots of respect. She has lots and lots of fame. But she has no power. She's not allowed to make rules for the country. She's not allowed to enact laws. She has lots of respect and lots of fame. But she has no power. May that not be like the church in the United States of America. Where God has lots of respect, we give him Sunday mornings. We sing great music that we listen to on our playlists. But when it comes to him putting demands on my life, no, I don't know about that. Sometimes we give him some respect. Sometimes we bow but we don't allow him to be the one to call all the shots. And that is where he rightly is supposed to be. When we submit to him and his ways and we make him king and put him on the throne of our hearts, that changes everything. And in that moment, when we live our lives under God's authority and kingdom, he produces in us the life of Jesus, and there's no better way to live in this world than with God on the throne of our hearts and us submitting all that we are to him. That is true life. And that is what we should do with the freedom that we have in this country today. The Olympics is coming up, and there's all sorts of media coverage about athletes who are preparing for the Olympics. And if you look anywhere about women's gymnastics, there's one name that rises to the top of all, and it's Simone Biles. Everyone is expecting fully for Simone Biles to get the gold several times in the women's gymnastics events. Barring any injury or crazy things, she probably will do that. And so let's imagine, which isn't too hard to imagine, that she wins the gold in the top women's gymnastics events in the Olympics this year. When she wins the gold, she's going to go to the podium for the medal ceremony. And as you know, she's not going to stand on the left, and she's not going to stand on the right. She's going to stand in the center, and they're going to put that gold medal around her neck. And I guarantee you, this is not going to happen. In that moment, they're not going to go to her and say, Simone Biles, what is your favorite song that we could play because you won the gold medal. What's going to happen is they're going to play the national anthem of the United States of America. Why? Because although her individual talent and accomplishments got her to that podium, she represents a bigger kingdom. She represents a nation bigger than herself. She represents something bigger than who she is. And God wants us to live in the power of Jesus Christ. That is the gold medal. But not so that we can play our own song. He wants us to live in freedom in this country. Not so that we can do whatever we want. 
so that we would live in a way where He is glorified in us and through us and where He uses us to carry out His kingdom agenda in this place. His gospel-loving mission for a world who's dying eternally. How rightly so on Independence Day we celebrate a missions moment where there's a group of Americans carrying the gospel to a country that's closed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we should do with our freedom. Carry out his kingdom agenda. So on this day, we come grateful for the independence of the United States. And we thank God for all the blessings in this nation. But let me ask all of us, while we live under the blessing of this nation's freedom, who or what rules our lives? Who or what rules our lives. The answer to that should be Christ and Christ alone. And if that isn't there, then we need to go before him and ask for forgiveness and rightly place him on the throne of our lives. And my prayer is that we would be a people here at Crossview Church who walk out Jesus Christ on the throne of our hearts as we carry out his kingdom agenda and the land of the free, and the home of the brave, and far beyond. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you on this day for the freedom that we have in this country. And we remember that from the time that kingdom conflict happened and you rolled out your kingdom agenda and as it fell to the United States, there have been many people who have given their lives that we may be citizens that live in a free country and we remember that. And God, as we celebrate this Independence Day in our nation, I pray that those who call themselves followers of Jesus would remember that the purpose of this sovereign freedom that you've given this nation is that we would live as people of your kingdom. God, I pray that you would guide us, lead us, speak to us as we carry out the kingdom of God in the kingdom of this world. And Lord, as the hymn says, would you bind our hearts like a fetter to you in this world that we live in. Let us hear so clearly your commands, and let us be so quick to honor and give you glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.